But becoming anti-fragile, it is the single most important thing you can do to supercharge your life and get where you want to go. So here's the thing. Entrepreneurs, leaders, salespeople. We all want to create consistent, repeatable, and scalable ways to grow our business and our income. And we want to do it better, faster, and more seamlessly. Why? So we can actually enjoy our lives, take vacations, and spend the quality time we want with the people that we love. How do we do all this without spending a fortune or running ourselves ragged? That's the big question, and this show is dedicated to the answer. You have no idea what we're about to experience. Do you stalk anybody online, be honest? You're all lying your asses off. I have been stalking this guy since I was first exposed to a video, an interview that he did with a guy named David Goggins. Who remembers David Goggins at the summit, right? David Goggins has a message for all of you. Do more push-ups. You with me on this? And how much more do you have in you? 40% more. After watching that interview, I was more, fa I mean, I was fascinated by David Goggins, but I was far more fascinated by the guy who is interviewing all of these extraordinary individuals and his ability to connect and engage and get from them who they are, how they became that way, that guy's gonna come up and he's gonna spend 90 minutes with you guys sharing all these extraordinary things that you can do and stuff that he has done in his own life to not build one company, but two companies. The second one at a value of $2 billion, they got like the fastest growing business in one year, like 57,000% growth in one year. Like when you're like, oh, I grew like 20%. 57,000% in one year. And he's gonna codify and share with you the tactical things you can do to get your mindset right, your attitude right, and your action plan right. But you gotta be in a state of level 10 to hear this kind of message. You cannot be like slightly tired from after lunch. You with me on this? Are you ready to accept some greatness? Are you ready to up your game and your mental toughness and your mindset? Yes? Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for my friend, Mr. Tom Bilyeu. Big round of applause, let's go. What is up, everybody? That was pretty impressive. That was some good energy, I won't play. Normally, the first thing I have to do when I get out here is get people out of their night coma. So it's uh, very exciting that you guys have already done that for yourselves. Thank you, Tom, first of all, for having me. I am super excited to be here. He told me a little bit about you guys behind the scenes, about the level of accomplishment that it takes to actually be in this room, which is already extraordinary. But the thing that I find most interesting is he said that you guys are actually a group of people who want to learn. And he said that there were some tremendously high earners in here, but the thing that made you guys memorable was that you're coming to the table not to beat your chest about what you've accomplished, but to figure out what more you can learn and my response to him on that was, and that's why they've been successful. That to me is one of the foundational building blocks of success is ultimately it comes down to your mindset. That's to me the most important thing that anybody could build is that, is the way that you think. Your mindset is the foundational operating system to everything that you do. And if you don't get that right, the chances of you having the level of success that you wanna have is exactly zero. So I want to walk through today is really two things. One, how to build your mindset to be effective, and then two, how to actually execute on your business. All right, the most important thing to know about me is I am not a born entrepreneur. Do we have any born entrepreneurs in the house? One? <laughs> two? 
All right, I find that depending on whether I announce that I'm not a born entrepreneur first or if I ask if there are others, the numbers tend to vary pretty dramatically. I am not a born entrepreneur. I wish that I was. I look at people that were selling flowers back to the people of whose yards they ripped them out 30 seconds ago. I'm really impressed. That was not me. I had a paper route when I was 12, and I was so scared to go knock on people's doors that I only made half the money that I could have made because half was given to you as a paycheck from the newspaper company and the other came from your collections, which I didn't do because I was too afraid. And that's where I started. I started with what I lovingly now refer to as the slave mentality. I kept my head down, I did as little work as possible and avoided punishment at all costs. That's what my parents taught me to do. They taught me to be a good employee. They taught me not to have tall poppy syndrome where you stand up too much so that people cut you down. So I wanted to fit in. And those were my beginnings. And when I went away to college, things began to change for me. But the first thing that you have to understand for my story to make sense is this quote. And I am going to belabor the point. I'm going to read this entire thing. Because if you understand this and why this is one of the most important things in my life, you've got a shot at understanding what I'm trying to convey here. To those human beings who are of any concern to me, I wish suffering desolation, sickness, ill-treatment, indignities. I wish that they should not remain unfamiliar with profound self-contempt, the torture of self-mistrust, the wretchedness of the vanquished. I have no pity for them because I wish them the only thing that can prove today whether one is worth anything or not. That one endures." The question that life is going to ask of all of us is whether or not we're going to endure. If you want to do something extraordinary with your life, I'll promise you right now, the number one thing that you're going to have to do is be able to bounce back from failure after failure after failure without a loss of enthusiasm, as Winston Churchill pointed out. That really is the definition of success. It's the people that can get the crap kicked out of them over and over and over. And in that, they do not ask, how am I a bad person? How is the world unfair? They ask only, what can I learn? What truth did I just encounter that caused me to fail? And then without losing any of the energy for what it is that they're trying to accomplish, they keep moving forward. If failing, if getting embarrassed, if those things diminish your will to win, if they show that you do not have what it takes to endure, then you will lose, you will be forgotten by time. Now, I'm always very careful to let people know I am not the right person for most people to take advice from. I am not the guy to take advice from if you want a nice, quiet life. That holds no interest to me. If, however, you want to play on a world stage, if you want to matter, if you want people to know your name, then I'm your guy. But back to me leaving for college. I did not show any early signs of success. My own mother, my biggest cheerleader, quietly assumed that I was going to fail. The funniest thing, my mom literally has to kick me out of the house. I didn't want to leave. I had a moment of panic. I didn't want to go away to college. I was one of only two people to leave my state and go on to an out-of-state school. And I wanted to stay and be with my friends. And my mom forced me to not chicken out, to go. And so I moved to Southern California. And then she spent every day since trying to get me back. 
And I said, Mom, this doesn't really make sense. Like, literally, all you had to do was not push me out, and I would have stayed close. So why did you do it? And she looked at me, and with no malice in her heart, she said, I just assumed you would fail. Now, the reason she said that was because she was right. She had accurately identified my skill set as of that moment. The honest answer is anybody looking at me would have assumed that I was going to fail. And I'm sure that that was on many people's lips. The one thing that they didn't give me credit for was ambition. All they could see was I did not yet have the drive. I didn't have the drive to make my dreams come true, but I had these incredibly big dreams. And the reality is all of us have the choice to make. And if you know this image, it's from the movie The Matrix. The Matrix is the key metaphor for my life. You're going to see it throughout this talk. And what Morpheus is offering right now is nothing more than the truth. You take the red pill, you wake up in the real world, you see how things really are. You take the blue pill, and you get to decide you can believe whatever you want. He doesn't promise that the red pill is going to be easy. He doesn't even necessarily promise that it's going to be a better life. He only promises that it is true. And that's what I began to learn about myself. I had to look at myself and be willing to figure out who I really was. And at the end of the day, that was going to be the only thing that mattered. And by putting myself on a quest to learn about my mindset, to figure things out, everything began to change in my life. From 2010 to 2013, the average company grew by 8%. In that same time period, Quest grew by 57,000%. Through my mindset, I took myself from scrounging in my couch cushions to find enough change to put gas in my car. That is a true story to building a billion-dollar business. And the question is, how did I do it? We ended up placing number two, sadly, although this is perfect for me, because it was just high enough to be badass and just far enough from first that I'm pissed so that I'll keep going and I'll keep pushing. But the question is, how did this kid go from his own mother quietly assuming that he was going to fail to building the second fastest-growing company in North America and to generating real wealth in his life? And the answer is, there's two things. One, you have to develop your mindset. I hinted at what two was earlier, and we'll get to that in a minute. The first thing I want everybody to understand is the matrix has you. Now, the matrix to me is a simple metaphor. I don't actually believe that we're living in a computer simulation, and even if we are, I don't think that it matters. But what does matter is your entire life is being lived by your brain. Now, what do I mean by that? If you know a guy named David Eagleman, he wrote a book called Incognito. In the book Incognito, he makes one thing abundantly clear. You live in a virtual environment, whether you realize it or not, that virtual environment is created by the three pounds of squishy material between your ears. Think about this. Your brain never touches light. Your brain is encased in a bone box in total darkness, and yet it takes photons that fall on the eye and turns it into electrochemical stimulus. And from that, it paints this environment. It fakes the sense of depth. Think about this for a second. There's not some little image of this room projected into the back of my mind. This is all being turned into electrochemical stimulus. And my brain then manufactures this environment. There's actually a dime spot 
blank part in your field of vision where each optic nerve connects to your eyes and yet you have no experience of it that is completely invisible to you, even though it's massive and it's dead center in your eyes. The reason that you don't experience it is because your brain fills it in. Your brain makes a guess as to what would be there and your brain is so good at guessing and so good at presenting it as if it were real that you have no sense. It is completely seamless to you. When I heard that, I remember getting the chills and setting the book down and saying, my brain is lying to me. That rat. Now, the question becomes, if this is all made up, if the sense of distance between you and I is completely manufactured by my brain and it's not real, meaning what I see of it, it's real enough in that if I walk, I'll hit you at about the point that I'm expecting to bump into you because my brain can create that sense of distance but it's doing it by translating those signals. It's manufacturing this space. So if that's true, and my brain fills in the gaps, does my brain also have biases? And the answer is yes. Neuroscience has gone deep into how many different biases that we have as humans. I'll give you one because this one is profoundly impactful. You're more likely to believe something negative than you are something positive. Now think about how that can echo through your life. Each of us has to realize that all of the beliefs that we have in our life are choices. The scary part about the most important beliefs in your life is most of them are invisible. I'm going to give you a couple questions that will highlight invisible beliefs that you have that are controlling your life, that are exactly why I say the matrix has you, because depending on how you answer these questions will determine your life. And if you don't recognize something scary in your own answers, think about the people that you love, that you want to help, and you can't, and you wonder why. The answer is almost certainly related to how they answer some of these questions. Number one, this comes from Einstein. He said... The most important decision, the most important decision any human being must make is whether or not you live in a friendly or a hostile universe. Now, he could have said realization, but he didn't. He said decision. You have to decide because there is no empirical truth. You don't live in either a friendly or a hostile universe. You decide. And that perception, that viewpoint from which you judge everything else that happens in your life will be colored by whether or not you think it is a universe that is working for you or against you. And it's a choice. But most people think of their viewpoint as being patently real, as being just objective and true. And so they never stop to question the fact that they actually decided that at some point, either because their parents acted in accordance with that it was either hostile or friendly and they just absorbed that or their friends or the people that they work with or whatever. But somewhere along the line, they came to believe that they live in either a friendly or a hostile universe. But you could change right now. Right now, you could make a different decision. And if you believe that the world is working against you right now, you could choose to believe that it's actually working for you. And in making a fundamentally new and different assumption, it empowers you to move forward. And this is something that I will repeat in this talk. The reason that matters is human beings do not invest energy in things that they don't think will yield a result. Now, a lot of the mistakes that we make as people we refuse to act because we have convinced ourselves that that action will not yield a desirable outcome. And because we believe that action will not yield a desirable outcome, we don't move forward. 
So I'll bring it back to my story. I go to film school. My mom kicks me out of the nest. I get to USC, and I realize, much to my dismay, that getting into USC the school and getting into USC film school is entirely different. Statistically speaking, you're more likely to get into Harvard Law than you are into USC film school. Not that you have to be brighter, just that the number of people are applying, applying is so vast that virtually nobody gets in. And so they have this whole thing that they see people do all the time, which is they act as if they've already been accepted, they start taking the courses, they never get accepted, and they end up wasting a year of college. And so all of the counselors advised me not to do it. They said, you haven't been accepted. The chance of you being accepted are virtually zero. You just have to embrace you didn't get into film school, and that's that. But I took one of the people out on the admissions committee, and I took him out to lunch. And I said, what do you look for in accepting people? And he said, well, our standard criteria is you need to have at least gotten a 1,300 on your SATs. And I had a panic attack. And I had a panic attack because I got a 990 on my SATs, and I took it twice. That was my combined score, which is horrifying. Monkey spreading feces randomly on the paper was scoring better than me. People used to joke that if I had just put my name and left the rest blank, that I might have done better. So now you see why my mother quietly assumed I was going to fail. But I took this guy out, and I said, okay, well, um, are there other ways to get in? And he said, well, just apply again as a junior, because there's really two times that we accept people, as an incoming freshman and then as an incoming junior. As an incoming junior, I don't look at your SATs anymore, I just look at your grades. So if you take the next two years and just get good grades, I won't even look at the rest of your application. I'll know whether or not you're gonna be good at school. And so I took his word for it. And going back to that notion of believing that my energies would be rewarded, I locked myself in a dorm room for two years. I did not date, I did not drink, I did not go to parties. All I did was work. And I got in. Thank you. Unfortunately, wait till you hear how that story pans out. It doesn't work out so well. So my first year in film school, I crush it. It's amazing. I really start to gain confidence. I think I'm doing well. People are starting to pay attention to me in the school. I'm thinking this is all going to work. As a kid, I'd promised myself two things. One day I will be rich, and one day I will have six-pack abs. And I thought this is going to be amazing. Part one done. I'm going to graduate, get the three-picture deal. This is going to be awesome. And then my senior year, they only select four people to direct a senior thesis film. So harder to get into USC film school than Harvard Law, and then of all the people that get in, only four get to direct a senior thesis. And I got picked to direct a senior thesis. But remember, the story does not end well. <laughs> I do my senior thesis, and I roll up with the confidence and swagger of somebody who knows they don't know what they're doing. It was all bravado, all projected, nothing real. Inside, I'm sweating bullets. And I ruin that film. I crash and burn so dramatically and spectacularly in front of my entire class. It was one of the biggest embarrassments of my life. It was so bad that I actually stole the master copy of my film so that it could never be watched again. You could go right now to USC and see George Lucas's student film, but you couldn't see mine because it's in my basement. That's how bad it was. This is not me like being uh, coy, 
It, it really was that bad. And I really did that bad of a job. And I really got slapped around and I realized that walking in with that level of arrogance and not being prepared and thinking that talent is real versus that everything that I'd gotten up to that point had been the result of hard work. In this one area of my life, I'd become so blind to the fact that the only thing that had ever brought value in my life was me being willing to acquire the skills, to open my eyes, to recognize the truth of the way the world works, figure out what I need to do and execute against it. I thought I was talented and that you either had it or you didn't. And I was so afraid of not having it by birth that I literally went on a suicide mission and I didn't spend any time trying to get better. And so I crashed and burned. Now that was a belief. That was something that I had chosen to believe that people are born with something or they're not. But the reality that I have learned is you are all hopelessly averaged by birth. We all are. And that's the great news. Because the most important thing to understand about the human species, we are the ultimate adaptation machine. If you guys were paying attention, not too long ago, they sequenced the human genome and they realized that the human genome has 20,000 genes. And everybody, they thought that they were going to cure cancer, all the diseases, age-related disease, everything, type 1, type, type, type 2 diabetes was all going to be a thing of the past. We were going to have it figured out. And then we realized that an onion has more genetic diversity than we do. And how could that be? And so they're literally going, is this really possible? Do we misunderstand something? Like, how is it that an onion has more genetic diversity than we have? And somebody finally said, hey, maybe all this stuff that we've been referring to as junk DNA, maybe it actually plays a role. And then they began to realize that all that junk DNA that was outside of those 20,000 genes that we saw expressing themselves is what is called epigenetics. Now, if you've ever heard of epigenetics, that's amazing. You're way ahead. If you haven't heard of epigenetics, let it become one of the most important things in your life because epigenetics is what has made us the most dominant species this planet has ever seen. It is the only thing that you need to know. It's what I call the only belief that matters. The only belief that matters is that you can learn anything. I don't need you to believe that you're good now. That doesn't matter. Who you are now is totally irrelevant. The only thing I want to know, who are you willing to become and what's the price you're willing to pay to get there? And that's what humans are designed to do. If you put us under stress, we can learn something new. We can get better. There was a woman that swam the Bering Strait. If you know the Bering Strait, it's the bit that connects Russia or the body of water that separates Russia and Alaska. It is about as cold as non-frozen water gets. And she swam it in a wetsuit. And the only way that she was able to pull it off was for a year she cold conditioned herself. And in cold conditioning herself, her body actually changed and she adapted more what's called brown fat, which is thermogenic. So she had a physiological response to the stressor that she put her body under. Now we can do the same things all day. In fact, you're doing it right now. You are here in this space to put yourself under a stressor, to learn something new, which you will then go practice. And as you put it to use, your body is going to solidify that through a process called myelination. This is actually how the brain rewires itself. If you've ever heard of brain plasticity, this is how all of that works. Now, once I began to understand that, once I realized that there was a mechanism at play here, 
then I could harness that mechanism and I could get where I wanted to go. That belief that I said, the only belief that matters, that you can learn anything, made me think about this movie, Limitless. Your potential is limitless because humans are designed to adapt, grow, and get better. We have a flexibility that no other species has. Think about a horse. The day that it's born, it can run, can jump, can feed. The day that a human infant is born, it can't hold its own head up. It is a lump of flesh that shits on itself. They're a mess. And you literally have to take care of them for months and months and months, years. The horse, however, isn't very flexible. A horse is a horse is a horse, no matter where you take it. A human, on the other hand, can not only survive, it can thrive anywhere on this planet, from the deserts to the bottom of the ocean. We've taken humans to the moon because we can adapt to our circumstances. And that belief that you literally can force your body and mind through an adaptation process to get good at anything, and this is what brings us back to my story. What I realized was I could get good at anything I set my mind to. I was gonna have to work my ass off. I may have needed to work harder than other people. Maybe people that were scoring, uh, which when I was a kid, 1600 was the perfect SAT score. Maybe those guys had it easier, but I now had a choice. I could either lament that they had it easier than me, whine about how unfair it was, or I could get to work. And what I chose to do was get to work. It's a concept I call minding the gap between who you are today and the person you need to become in order to execute against your dreams. There is a gap of skills. Now, I believe, based on the way that humans are designed from a DNA perspective, that literally the reason we are here is to find out how many skills we can acquire that have utility and then put that utility to the test in service of something larger than us. That's the path to human fulfillment. Fulfillment. One thing I want to make really clear, and if you ignore everything else, this is the one where you stop and you pay attention because this could save years of your life. The game you're playing is not success. The game you're playing is not money. The game you're playing is brain chemistry. The only thing that matters in life, truly, the only thing that matters in life is what you think about yourself when you're by yourself and have nothing but your own thoughts. If in that moment you feel good about who you are, who you're becoming, what you're capable of, and what you're willing to do to make a better future for yourself, those you care about, and other people around you, you will love your life. It is the single most pleasurable neurochemical state is deep fulfillment, okay? Not happiness. A bowl of ice cream brings me a lot of happiness. But it is a very transient experience. Deep and lasting fulfillment matters. And what that comes down to is how you feel about yourself when you're by yourself. So focusing on skill set, focusing on what you want to become, focusing on what it is that you want to get so good at that you can't be ignored. 
what to use the matrix, you have to understand is what is your kung fu? What is that thing that you're going to become so extraordinary at that you can outperform other people? And one thing I want to make abundantly clear, there is a huge difference, a huge difference between sitting on the bench and winning a championship and being capable of a championship performance. Don't worry about the accolades. Don't worry about the rings. Worry only about becoming capable of a championship performance. That fulfillment that I was talking about, fulfillment often is born of suffering. It is born of the difficulty of doing the hard things over and over and over. Each and every one of you ask why you're sitting here when the next person is not. And the answer is you did things that they were unwilling to do. You worked when it wasn't fun. When it was boring, you still pushed hard. When it got hard and you got knocked down, you got back up. You focused on something that allowed you to keep moving forward and you did that. You moved forward. You kept pushing. You didn't let any knocks to your ego stop you. You learned to self-soothe, find the center, find the lesson, and move on. Now, the good news is developing skills is a very simple process. It starts with ABL, always be learning. Now, for me, that's usually reading. I read voraciously. One of the things that I realized is just left to my own devices, I don't think very interesting stuff. But if you let me interact with really cool people that have thought a lot, and to paraphrase Socrates, read so that you may learn with ease what others have learned with great difficulty. So I read voraciously. I watch YouTube videos voraciously. One of the reasons that I put out content is because so many amazing people have taken the time to say what they've learned, and I've gotten to go learn from that. So I want to pay it forward. But always be learning, whatever your method is. Open yourself up to being changed. I know this is going to sound a little silly, but whenever I read a book, I say a little prayer right before the book, and it goes like this. I am open to being changed fundamentally forever and for the better by what I'm about to read. I don't go into a book thinking of myself as an expert, even if I'm reading on a field that I have a lot of experience in, I go in hoping that I will find that next piece of information that's really going to change my life. The next thing is to realize that what you believe is a choice. And we talked about that earlier. And I want you guys to know that your belief system can be changed at any time, but your belief system is what guides your entire life. So the first part of this that we talked about was to ask yourself, do I live in a hostile or friendly universe? The next thing I want to ask yourself is, is everything a miracle or is nothing a miracle? And the third thing I want you to ask yourself, can you do anything you set your mind to without limitation? Or are there limits to what you can comprehend? I'm not saying there's a right or a wrong answer to any of those questions, but I am saying depending on how you answer them will determine one thing. And that is what you believe the results will be when you put energy in a given direction. Here's why most people fail. In fact, right now, I'm going to give you the answer, and as soon as I say it, you're going to be like, yeah, of course, that's right. I want you to all lock it in your minds. Why, like if you had to boil it down, why do most people fail? Got it locked? The answer is they never start. Now, the reason that most people never start is because they don't think that they're going to get a result from their actions. And then that's going to come down to a belief that they believe about themselves. I'm too stupid. 
I'm not good enough. I don't have the natural talent. Uh, I wasn't born at the right time or in the right neighborhood. My parents didn't teach me that. That's why most people fail. There's a great quote by Amelia Earhart. I'll paraphrase. The hard thing is taking the first step. Everything else is just persistence. And I've always loved that quote because it's so true. It doesn't mean that you're going to get it right. It doesn't mean that just because you start, you're going to win. In fact, most likely, the first thing you do, you're going to fail. Think about all the times that you guys tried something and it failed, or the first time when you tried to get the business going and it didn't work, or the first house you tried to sell and nobody went for it, or the first time that you lost money. And the question is, what did you do then? If you learned from it, doubled down, figured it out, focused only on the truth, then you'll move forward. You move forward because you believe you can learn. And that's that thing, hiding in that. And this is the thing when people ask me, hey, my mom or my wife or my husband, whatever, they don't have that belief system. They don't have what Carol Dweck calls a growth mindset. How do I get them there? The answer is you don't until they are convinced that they can learn anything that they put their mind to, that their energies double down into that area of gaining skills will actually pay off with a real-world ability to do something new, they're not going to act. So understanding that what you believe is a choice is critical. Be, eternal, be an eternal student. Always be learning. When I say be an eternal student, what I'm talking about is sitting at somebody's feet and trying to learn from them. If you approach everyone as if they have something to teach you, that they are your superior in some way. And I mean, I want, think about the people you hate. Think about the people that you just think are total dumbasses. Just know you've closed off a bit of knowledge. They do know something, even if it's what not to do. But if you can engage with them and really let your ego down and learn from them, and one of the ways that I think about this is if you're criticizing me, it's like you're throwing a rock at me. Or flip it, it's like you're throwing a nugget of gold at me. And it's going to hurt, but I've got to lower my defenses, let it hit me in the face. But once I do that, now I've got the nugget of gold. Now I see something about myself that I didn't know before. And that is incredibly powerful. And this is one of those areas that a lot of people fall down is there's a saying called the psychological immune system. The psychological immune system's job is to make you feel good about yourself. The problem is feeling good about yourself is often 180 degrees diametrically opposed to the direction you need to go in to learn. You first have to accept that you don't know. You first have to accept this person actually knows something that I want to know. But you can't do that if you're not the eternal student. All right, become anti-fragile. We're about to dive way into that and the same with grit. All right, who's read Nassim Taleb's book, Anti-Fragile? Oh, you guys have an exciting time before you. All right, there is an amazing book called Anti-Fragile. Again, it's by Nassim Taleb. And the whole point of the book goes like this. Something that is resilient, something that is tough, all of those things, any of those words you want to apply to it, they are still things defined by their breaking point. Their breaking point may be far away, but they are still things that are defined by where they break. To become anti-fragile is to build a system, to put it in place that the more it's attacked, the stronger it gets. That's the key. This moment changed my life. So here I am. I graduated film school. I've stolen my master. I am totally lost. I don't know what I'm doing. I did not get the three-picture deal. I feel adrift at sea. I am flirting with depression. I can't afford furniture, so I come home and lay on the floor of my apartment and feel my face meshing into the carpet. 
the kind where you lay there for like an hour and a half, and by the time you get up, you've got the marks of the carpet on your face. That's where I was because I was lost. I didn't know what to do. I still had this dream, but I had no idea how to make it come true. And these two guys around that time come across my path. They know that I'm trying to become a filmmaker, and they say, look, you're coming to the world with your hand out. If you want to control your art, you've got to control the resources. So come work with us. We're starting a technology company. We need a copywriter. Be the copywriter. But understand, this is a startup. You can have any position in the company you want. You just have to become the right person for the job. So I was just young enough to take them at their word. I dove in the company, and I thought, okay, this is amazing. First of all, these guys are bodybuilders, so they got six-pack abs. And second, they're rich. So the two things I'd promised myself as a kid growing up in Tacoma, here they were incarnate. I was super excited. And the same thing. They didn't promise that it was going to be easy, just that it was real and there was really an opportunity. So for six and a half years, I put my head down and I worked my ass off. I worked day and night. And I was getting better, but there was something holding me back. And I remember one day I was arguing with them. They had an idea. It was a great idea, but I had a competing idea. And even though... I knew their idea was better. I kept fighting for my idea. And in my head, there was a voice screaming like, shut up, you know this is wrong. And if you actually want to get rich, like winning this argument is going to move you away from that. So what are you doing? And so after the argument, I finally convinced them. And so now I'm having this moment of crisis where I'm like, holy hell, I just won the argument. And oddly enough, it feels amazing. But on the other side, I know that I just moved myself backwards. So what do I actually want? Do I want to get rich or do I want to move towards my goal of feeling good about myself? Which of those is real? Because I tell people that I want to get rich, but I'm acting like I just want to feel good about myself. And in that, thinking through it, I realized I need to feel good about myself. And if that's true, then I should just get away from these guys because they make me feel badly about myself all the time. They're smarter than me. They're 10 years ahead of me on their entrepreneurial journey. I'm never going to be able to catch up. This is a total misery. I just can't keep living like this. And then I had the only thing in my life that I'll call a true epiphany. And I realized that I could switch what I built my self-esteem around. Because at that moment, my self-esteem was built around being right, being smart, being good, being worthy. All things that are very fragile. Because as soon as, soon as I encountered someone smarter than me, I felt badly about myself. As soon as I was wrong, I felt badly about myself, which then made me feel not worthy, which then compounded how badly I was feeling about myself. So I got into this horrible spiral, and I thought, what is it that I could choose to feel good about myself based on that would also, at all times, move me towards my goals? And the answer that I came up with and I've thought a lot about this, and I can't come up with a better one, but if anybody has it, I'll take it, is to switch my identity around to being the learner and being willing to admit when I was wrong. So I stopped think of, thinking of myself as somebody who was smart, and I started thinking of myself as somebody who learned, and I started rewarding myself emotionally for admitting when I was wrong, to admit that I was wrong really fast, that I could pour myself into an argument when I really believed it. And I would fight for something. But the second that I realized somebody had a better answer, I would stop immediately. And I would say, you've convinced me. Your answer is better than mine. Let's do that. And then I would become the energy for that. And if you're ready for the really weird twist of fate, even though the whole time I'd be saying it was his idea, it was amazing, but it's a great idea. And now let's do X, Y, Z. Let's really run with this. 
I started getting a lot of credit. I got credit for never being afraid to admit when I was wrong, and I got a lot of credit for breathing life into that idea. And so then people wanted to be around me. They wanted to give me their great ideas. They wanted me to lead because they knew that they could trust me with their ideas. And that changed everything. And that's how I began to really move up in the company. And it was absolutely incredible and life-changing. And in fact, of all the things, when people ask me, like, what's the one thing that led you to having the kind of success that you've had? I say that. I switched my identity, my sense of pride and self-esteem around to something that is truly anti-fragile. Because now if you tell me that I'm stupid, I will say, awesome, in what way? Because if you tell me in what way I'm wrong, if you tell me in what way I'm ignorant, then I can learn. Go back. The only belief that matters. You can learn anything you set your mind to. So someone telling you that you're stupid or undereducated or you don't know what you're talking about, fantastic. Even if they're just trying to be mean. And by the way, when people are trying to be a dick to you, chances are they pick something that's real. They're going to come after you with some real shit. Be ready for that. And that's where most people shut down. It's like, oh, that really hurts. You throw up the psychological immune system, you explain them away, they're a dumbass, they don't make as much money as I do, all things that will probably be equally true. But where does that get you? It keeps you ignorant to a truth about you, by the way, that the rest of the world knows. In fact, here's something if you're really ready for some truth. All the things that you hope nobody notices about you, all the weaknesses in your game and your skill set that you think are so wonderfully hidden, everyone knows all of it. I mean, that's a great irony, right? Like, you're only protecting yourself from the truth. Everybody else is already thinking it. We're going to get more into that later. I've got a whole slide on that. But becoming anti-fragile, it is the single most important thing you can do to supercharge your life and get where you want to go. All right, develop grit. If you guys haven't already read Angela Duckworth's book, Grit, read it. It is amazing. The punchline of grit to me is that it can be developed. This is not just something that you have or you don't have. There's actually a process that you can go through where you can develop more grit in your life. I think it is absolutely essential for anyone to do that. Going back to that initial quote, which I read the whole thing of, which really defines my life. Can you endure? Can you endure? At the six and a half year mark of my quest to becoming an entrepreneur, through sweat equity, I had earned ownership in the company. On paper, I was now a multimillionaire. I was making more money than I'd ever made in my life, and I was completely miserable. And I was living the cliche of money can't buy happiness. Now, that was super ironic for me because I understand the power of money. I understand what it can do. Money is more powerful than most people think. It's just not at all what they've been told. Money's inert. Other than if you have paper money, you can light it on fire and it will kick off heat. Other than that, it only does what you tell it to do. So in and of itself, it can't do anything. But it is the great facilitator. So if you know what you want to accomplish, then money is absolutely incredible. But in that moment, I didn't know why I was chasing money. I just knew that I wanted money. And so I had come up completely emotionally empty. And I went in and I quit. 
And after six and a half years of climbing my way up, I sat across from my partners and I said, here's your equity back. If I don't cross the finish line, I don't think I should get anything for this. I'm unhappy. I want to go do something that makes me feel alive. Remember, the game you're playing is not success. It's not money. It is brain chemistry. I'm speaking from experience. I got to that point where I had more money than I thought that I would have. And it wasn't doing anything for me. And so I realized that my life needed to be predicated around something else entirely. And that something else was going to be something that I was deeply passionate about. It was going to be the thing for which I could actually be gritty. It was going to be the thing that would allow me to endure. Because if you want to endure, the only promise I can make is you will only do it for something that you care deeply about. Now, if you haven't heard somebody say the words that make me want to bite them, which is follow your passion, I don't know where you've been hiding. And the thing is, they're right. You should follow your passion. The problem is the vast majority of people in the world, and if not you directly, I guarantee someone you know, love, and care about very deeply struggles with this. They don't know what their passion is. And we use language that makes people think that you've got a passion, it's hiding in your head, maybe it's behind the curtain somewhere in your mind, and if you could just uncover it, suddenly your life would be different. There'd be a ray of sunshine. You'd be able to do whatever you wanted. You'd have all the energy in the world to go do this thing. But that's not how passion works. Passion must be developed. It is a process. And it goes like this. Identify areas of interest by encountering a lot of stuff. You're going to go out there. You're going to do things. As with most successful things in life, you need to do things. Encounter stuff. Find out what sparks your interest. Once something sparks your interest, if it turns into a real fascination, which you will only know by engaging with it, if it turns into a real fascination, then we go hog wild to actually gain mastery. One of the most foundational building blocks of human happiness, fulfillment, is progress. So the act of gaining mastery in and of itself is super powerful. As you go down the path of gaining mastery, you're going to realize whether or not this is something that you're going to want to invest heavily in. But it only happens if you actually set out. And the way that I tell people to do it, if you can look at something and say, I want to be the best in the world at that, and that excites you, then chances are that's going to be a real passion for you. If it's not, pivot, try something else. If you find yourself pivoting too much, chances are you just don't like doing the hard stuff. Because here's the reality. To become the greatest in the world at anything, you are going to have to work your ass off. I interviewed a guy, if any of you have ever seen my show, um, Impact Theory, I interviewed some of the most incredible people on the planet, and we had a guy on named Jay Williams, former NBA player, and he said one of the most impactful moments of his basketball career was playing against the Lakers. He went into the gym, he thought he was going to be the first one there, and he was going to be practicing, and Kobe Bryant was already on the court practicing. Jay then practiced for like an hour and a half. This is before the game. So he still have a game to play, but he practices for an hour and a half. He sits down and realizes Kobe is still practicing. And he sits there and watches Kobe practice for like another 45 minutes. Kobe then goes on to have an amazing game, scores like 40 points, crushes him. Jay goes up to him after the game and says, Kobe, I just have to ask, why did you stay so long on the court before the game? And Jay said, or 
Kobe said, I saw you come on to the court and I needed you to know that I was willing to outwork you. And he said, I don't mean any disrespect by that. I just need you to know that I'm willing to go harder than you are and that's what makes me the greatest. Now, it's Jay Williams telling that story. It's Jay saying, I have the chills on the back of my neck. That's what it takes. Jay wasn't offended. He was changed by that comment. It really does come down to that. When you love something enough that you're not going to be beaten, when you love something enough that you will give it your everything, that you will literally pour yourself into it, that you will give yourself over to it completely. And that, if you want to know what I wish for everyone in this room and in the world, is to develop that, develop that thing that you would pour yourself into so completely that you've literally given yourself over to it. And the way that I explain it to my wife is, she's my number one. And I mean the following sincerely. But if she ever asked me to give up my ambition, we couldn't be together. Because she would be asking me to give up something that is so fundamental to who I am that I would cease to be who I want to be. And so she could ask me to give anything else up, but never that. And for people to find that thing, like when I tell people that I work hard, smart, and long hours, they always freak out on the long hours part. And they always say, well, Tom, if I'm working hard and smart, why do I have to work long hours? And the answer is, because if you don't, I'm going to eat your fucking lunch because I'm working all three. That's the truth. You will always lose to the person that's doing all three. And somebody out there somewhere loves what they are doing so much. They have cultivated that to be at the absolute center of their universe and who they are. And because of that, they are all the way in. And you will lose to them when you come head to head, I promise. I'll take an amen on that one. <laughs> All right, your second job is you have to build your mindset. Or sorry, you have to build your actual business. So number one is mindset. And by the way, I'll, I'll throw this out more to plant seeds for questions later, which for those of you that don't know me, after I give a talk, I will make myself available for questions. Normally I say until the last question is answered. Today I actually have a hard stop and not till 8.30. Um, so I will stay out in the parking lot wherever I have to to answer questions until the last question is answered until we bump up against 8.30. Um, you'll understand more as I go through this why I have such a commitment to people that I believe that I'm here to serve. Um, but getting to build your business is the next part of the equation. Mindset, though, is in place number three. And the two things that come before it that I don't talk about in my talk, but I usually get a lot of questions about, is diet and exercise. If you want to generate energy in your life, if you have something that you love and you're willing to give yourself over to it completely, you won't have the energy if you don't optimize cognitively. There's just a reality to the biology of being a human being to generate ATP, which is the inner source of your body, which is created by mitochondria. If you're not keeping your mitochondria healthy and in shape by eating right and exercising, you're never going to have the energy when you need it. I've once answered questions after giving a, a talk for 11 hours without stopping for the restroom or food. And the reason that I'm able to do it is because I stay in shape. Not because I want to, I hate working out. I, I hate eating right. All of that stuff sucks. A bowl of ice cream is awesome. 
Everything else virtually is lame in comparison. Can we agree? I mean, so it's not a question of want. It's not a question of fair or how it should be. It's just a question of is. To me, getting to the physics of any situation, of really understanding what is at play. And the physics of the human experience is the human mind and biology. And until you understand those, you're never going to be able to do the things in your business that you want to. All right. I'm going to go relatively quickly through this because I want to get to questions. Um, so the building your business part, if people really want to go deep, it's more fun when it's super specific. And so we'll get to that um, in the, the following Q&A. But guys, you live in a new world. Okay, you live in a new world. And I need everyone to really understand that social media has changed everything. And if you've ever once said to someone you care about to yourself or God forbid your children that they're wasting time on social media, you are crippling them as the next generation of business people. I don't say that tongue-in-cheek or over-the-top at all. Social media is, is the single most empowering invention since the advent of the internet. And the reason that's true is right now you can connect with people that in any other time in history you would be unable to reach. You live in a world where you can get real-time feedback from your customers on what they like and what they don't like. That has never existed before. Advertising and marketing has always been a one-way street. You put something out and you have no idea what people think about it. Now you can find out in real time. How did Quest go from not existing in 2010 to a valuation of over a billion dollars in 2014? By building a community. Now, the new world that you live in is populated by millennials and Gen Z. If you haven't started hearing about Gen Z yet, you will. They think about companies differently, certainly than I did growing up. They want to know who companies are. They want to know what companies stand for. It's not enough anymore just to know what the brand image is. They want to know about the people behind the brand. People would email Steve Jobs directly, and as soon as he replied, they would publish that out to the world because people wanted to understand Steve Jobs. At Quest, I started doing an interview show called Inside Quest because people wanted to know who we were. They wanted to know what we stood for. They wanted to understand what does it mean to buy this product? What are you doing with the profits? And that's something you're going to start hearing more and more. People want to be able to have impact and they want to be able to make an impact by supporting your company. Now, if you know what this image is from, you're already on a very good path. This was created by a hairdresser who went around and did makeovers on homeless people. And he would film it. And it was beautiful, heart-wrenching, amazing. And this is the one on the, my right, your right as well. Um, this is the image of the guy seeing himself for the first time. And you can just see on his face, that's social media. Costs the guy whatever the cost of his time is, and then he just filmed it with his phone. That shows, if you go to that barber, like now it means something different. A, he's known all over, so forget about him now worrying about getting the next client. But also people want to support him, not just for an amazing haircut, because what a good dude, right? So finding ways through this new world of marketing to tell people what your why is. That's what it's all about. Who knows who Simon Sinek is? All right. Simon Sinek wrote a book called Start With Why. It is incredibly powerful. This is something that all of you should be thinking about. It's not just what you do or how you do it. It is why. What is driving you? For me at Quest, so I go into my partners. 
Remember, six and a half years, I go in and I quit. I'm not going to cross the finish line. Here's your equity back. I'm driving home. I'm talking to my wife on the phone. I did it. We're going to go do something that makes us feel alive. This is going to be amazing. And they call me and I said, look, let me take this call. And I click over and it's my partners and they invite me out to dinner. And out of love and respect, I go. And they say the words that ended up changing the course of my life, which were, we could do this without you, but we don't want to. And that's what I needed to reconnect to something other than the money. Up until that point, I'd gotten lost in chasing the money. But the money wasn't the thing that I really wanted. It wasn't my why. I had a totally different why. I wanted to add value. I wanted to be myself and let that shine through. I wanted to connect with people and build a community. So in 2009, at the height of our success as a technology company, we decided to sell that company and start a protein bar company, which everybody told us we were crazy. It didn't make any sense. There were 1,600 bars on the market that we would be competing against in a category that had been declining for years. One distributor told us, I need another protein bar like I need another hole in the head. But we kept going because we believed in our product. We believed we solved a market problem that people wanted, which there were no protein bars on the market that we would eat. There was nothing that was high in protein, tasted great, but didn't have sugar. Everything else did. But that was our why. We were going to end metabolic disease. It was something that I was deeply connected to. Thank you was something I was deeply connected to. I grew up in a morbidly obese household. Mother Teresa has an awesome quote. No one will act for the many, but people will act for the one. And it was very easy for me to show up every day thinking about my mom and my sister, both morbidly obese. I knew I was going to lose them both way too early if I couldn't do something to solve the problem. So I wanted to make food that they could choose based on taste, and it happened to be good for them. And so that was my why. That was how I showed up every day fighting when it got hard, when, it, when I was tired, when everything seemed like it was going in the wrong direction, I would hold on to that. That was my anchoring moment. So find that for yourselves. And finding that needs to be something that is entirely focused on delivering value. Whatever it is that you do, whatever your business model is, in everything that you do, from who you sell a property to, to who you rent it out to, to who you buy it from, everything, you need to be focusing on an exchange of value and making sure that that goes both ways. Karma is good business. Doing the right thing is good business. And it wasn't always true. Decades in the past, you could hide all that stuff. It was probably better from a pure financial standpoint to just count your pennies, to always be thinking about profitability, but you live in a hyper-social, highly connected age where one of the most potent and powerful marketing vehicles that you can do is to be good to people. Treat them well. And that brings us to the new kingmakers, authenticity and transparency. I'm on camera way more than I'm comfortable with, and certainly more than I ever thought that I would be. And I didn't want to be at first. And my chief marketing officer back at Quest harangued me for more than two years to step out front and finally give a face to the company. It's already happening, but it is only going to accelerate more and more and more. So for those of you, I mean, look at Tom Ferry. That's exactly what I'm talking about. It's value-ed content. He steps out front. You get to hear how he thinks. You get to connect with him. It's one of the most perfect examples of how to use social media in the new era that I've ever seen. It's absolutely breathtaking. It was an honor to be on his show because it works. 
It does all of the things that you want to do. It allows him to show you who he really is so that you can feel connected to him and not just the business, and that's important. If you haven't already read Ray Dalio's Principles, be sure to read it. It's the most important business book ever for me. Uh, it totally rocked my world and showed me what it really looks like to build an organization, not just a business, but an organization. I'll sum it up by saying it's a meritocracy. It is creating an organization and a way of thinking within the company where everybody is focused on one thing and one thing only, the truth. And the truth is often very hard to hear. But if you believe you can get good at anything you set your mind to, suddenly the truth is the most powerful thing that people can give you. We have an inability. Remember, our mind has all these things going on. The brain has biases. It's trying to keep us safe. It's moving us in one direction or another. We're not always completely aware of what the mind is doing. But if we can get other people to understand that we want the truth, that we welcome the truth, then the best idea can actually win because nobody's holding their tongue. And I'll give you an example. We've implemented this in my company, Impact Theory. And I will give you one quick short note to see how hardcore this is. If you have a critical thought even if you keep it only to yourself, you have violated the principles of our company to not verbalize that externally. So if you think somebody doesn't know what they're talking about, if you think somebody is being um, sarcastic to be mean, you got to call it all out. Now, if you just had a glimpse of the mass chaos that would ensue from that, you're getting the right idea. Read the book, it is transformative. I think it's how every company should be run where the only thing that survives is truth. It's fascinating the way that he does it. I won't uh, go into a whole thing. All right, we all have technology to take advantage of it. You wanna put the humanity back in it. Technology should be a way for people to connect. Social media should be a way for you to learn about your audience, for them to be connecting with what you're doing. The reason that social media is amazing, it's largely free, it's real-time connection, it's raw feedback, whether you want it or not. There's different platforms for different audiences. You can do rapid tests and get rapid results, and I think that's really important, making sure that you're testing a lot of different things. And most importantly, it gives you the ability to build community. January 4th, 2017, I started Impact Theory. As of January 4th, 2018, so exactly a year later, we have roughly 650,000 people in our ecosystem starting from scratch. So in a single year, simply by putting out content, we were able to build an ecosystem of 650,000 people that I can reach on a daily basis. Thank you. Building that community around what you do, and think about it, it's built around what you do, who you are, the things that you're doing, you're adding value in your content. People feel connected to you. They feel like you've added value. In fact, first of all, I'm honored to everyone that stopped me to ask for a picture and say kind words, thank you, that means more to me than you will ever know. But really now abstract it for a second and think about that. People in my ecosystem stop me, the, a business owner, stop me to thank, to thank me for marketing to them. Really think about that for a second. When was the last time you put out a marketing message and people were like, whoa, your marketing is so amazing. If I see you in the street, I want to stop, take a picture, and thank you for changing their life. It's my marketing, and I don't hide that. I tell people exactly what I'm doing. 
But that's what it can be when it's done right. All right, don't market, build a community. Growing your community is everything. We've talked a lot about that. Now, the last thing that I'll leave you with on the tactical is what if I told you that your customers hate your content? Because they almost certainly do. Because people are trying to sell, they're not trying to add value. To give you an idea, I looked for some special things going on in the housing world on YouTube. These two videos alone have over 40 million views, which by the way, even at a third of a cent, those 40 million views are hundreds of thousands of dollars just in ad revenue. But then it so happens the guy actually isn't a real estate agent, but if he was, it becomes the equivalent of that barber going out and giving haircuts to people for free to bring that joy to them. So finding something clever, it doesn't have to be that, but finding something clever that's gonna reveal who you really are, show your value system. All right, last but not least, this only all works if you execute. To execute, you have to have crystal clear goals. I find that this is where people fall down. Their goals simply aren't clear. If you don't know exactly what you want, you're never gonna be able to execute against it. If you come to me and say, I know exactly what I want. I want to win a gold medal in the Olympics. Awesome. Winter or summer? Summer, great. Tennis or swimming? Swimming, great. Backstroke? Medley, freestyle, what is it? Until you get to the real speci the specificity, you don't know how to train against it. You don't know what skills you need to get. You don't need what parts of your body that you're gonna need to develop. So it starts with having a distressing level of clarity, which is where most people fall down. All right, don't be romantic, be pragmatic. You need to be looking at the data and a piece of advice that my father-in-law gave me that I ignored for three years, much to my dismay, he pulled me aside and he said, he went from growing up in a tiny village in Cyprus, which until I met my wife, I'd never even heard of, grew up in a tiny village, not town, in Cyprus, goes on to run one of the largest shipping companies in the world. And he said the way that I was able to do it was I learned more about any deal than anyone else in the room. And so it didn't matter when I was 19 that I was 19. It didn't matter when I was 25 that I was only 25. I knew more about it than anyone else. And so people started to turn to me, and that's how he rose, and ultimately how I took myself from copywriter to being an owner in the company. All right, grind, baby, grind. That was me for two years. Hairnet, lab coat, gloves, working so hard on a production line because I was thinking about my mom and my sister that I would wake up in the morning in the middle of the night with my hands cramping closed. That's how hard you have to work to achieve excellence. Because at the end of the day, guys, no one cares what you're trying to do. They only care what you actually achieve. And here's the reality. There is only one way to get where you want to go. There's only one way to become the best in the world. And that way is not, I promise, to lower people's expectations, manage them, and step comfortably over and say, see, I delivered on that. There is only one path to greatness, and that path is exactly set the bar ridiculously high, and then surpass all expectations. So I will leave you with this. Humans are the ultimate adaptation machine. You're literally designed to change, to grow, to get better. It comes down to how hard you're willing to work. I don't want you guys to think about who you are today or what you've already accomplished. I want you to think about the person that you're willing to become 
and the price that you're willing to pay to get there because if you're willing to outwork people, if you're willing to do more than anyone else, if you're willing to give yourself over to something, there is literally nothing that you can't accomplish. You just have to believe. Thank you so much. If you want more information about this episode, including my show notes, mentions, links, and everything else, make sure you visit tomferry.com slash podcast. That's tomferry.com slash podcast. Thanks again and talk to you soon.